A reading is from Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> I, uh, th- this is a tough subject to preach on because I feel so uh, inadequate uh, as a prayer myself. I uh, was really touched and excited uh, to a degree, to a great degree, that we were doing this series following First Timothy. And if you remember in Second uh, or First Timothy, Second. The second chapter, verse 1, it talks about, first of all, make prayer and supplication petition for, uh, for others. Let, let me read you the passage. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. These were Paul's words as he kind of got into the, the body of, of, sec, or of First Timothy and just so powerful to remind us again of the importance of prayer. And prayer is important to God and it's important to us and, and it's appropriate we would take time to, to think about it, to uh, learn from the scriptures about how to be more faithful in prayer. But as, as I mentioned earlier, when I, when I come to this subject, I, I feel uh, like over the years in my journey, I haven't been as effective or as as, as uh, faithful in prayer as I should be. I've, I've often asked myself the question, uh, do I pray enough? Do I pray long enough? Uh, what happens in my head the moment I say I'm going to pray and these 5,000 thoughts just flash across your mind and, and you can't think about what you were going to pray about, all the busyness of life? You know, do, do I pray correctly? Uh, why, why didn't God answer my prayer? All those kinds of questions come to mind. And, and so this morning we're going to begin... Uh, just talking about the perfect prayer, the prayer that Jesus laid out before us in the scriptures. And, and my prayer is if you struggle as I have, uh, maybe you've had some of those same questions. Am I praying properly? Am I praying long enough? Am I praying off enough? Whatever, that you'll come to realize that there is a plan and there are principles in the word of God for proper God-honoring prayer. And, and that's what's revealed to us in the passage today. Understand, first and foremost, God wants us to pray. God desires our prayer. God, God longs to hear us speak to Him. Uh, he is our Father, and uh, He wants us to uh, come to Him and to, to be with Him and to grow and develop our relationship with Him. So He not only desires it, but here in this passage, He teaches us how to go about prayer. Next week, we're going to deal with some of the barriers and, and, as well as the building blocks to great prayer. And, and so... Uh, there. there as I've been preparing for these two messages, that I don't know of a, a, a spiritual discipline in the life other than prayer that has as much teaching in the Word of God about how to do it and do it in a way that honors Christ. So uh, hopefully we can learn from that as well. So uh, today we get to uh, have the master prayer the Lord Jesus teach us together uh, this uh, great subject. Uh, understand that uh, 
The passage we're going to look at is called the Lord's Prayer. It occurs in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 6, as we've just heard. It's also uh, covered in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, 5. And it was there that the disciples, after watching Jesus pray, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, they understood the, and they saw the power of prayer and uh, that Jesus uh, was so involved with. And so they sought and asked this great question from which we can learn. Uh, understand this is probably not appropriately entitled the Lord's Prayer. This is not a prayer that Jesus could ever pray because it asks for forgiveness of sins and Jesus is sinless. So, so he never prayed this prayer. Technically, probably the, the, the best prayer Jesus prayed in the Bible, if you wanted to say this is Jesus or the Lord's Prayer, it would be John 17 where he prayed for the ongoing work of his disciples and the church following his death. So with that little brief introduction, let's turn to the actual text itself. I, I would like, thank, thanks Nicole for reading this. I'd like to read it again and then pray together. It's such a profound passage in Scripture. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. God, we want to be uh, more aligned with your perfect will in this whole uh, area of prayer. We want to be faithful to pray. We want to make prayer a priority in our lives. We want to pray for the reasons that you call us to prayer for. So God, guide us. Uh, use your spirit in my heart, my life. I, I pray I'd be totally surrendered to your leading today. Uh, use the words of Jesus to challenge all of our hearts and lives to pray in, in a manner that uh, exalts you and furthers your work and your kingdom in the world. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this precious, precious truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. When Jesus <clears throat> gave this prayer, he, he didn't intend that people would memorize these 66 words and, and just uh, uh, repeat them mindlessly. He didn't say, uh, memorize this and then repeat it verbatim. It's good to pray the Lord's Prayer so long as your heart and mind are engaged in what you're praying. And we'll talk about that a bit more uh, later. But understand, principally, I believe when he said, pray then like this, he wasn't saying, pray this prayer verbatim. He was saying, apply the principles and and apply the pattern of this prayer to your prayer life. Use your own words. Use it in a way that exalts the Lord and, and edifies uh, others and, and builds up his kingdom. Luther, for example, uh, years ago I came across a pamphlet uh, that Martin Luther, about Martin Luther's prayer life. His barber asked him one time, Martin, how do you pray? And so he used the Lord's Prayer or what we call the Lord's Prayer to teach his barber how to pray. And, and in that pamphlet he talked about the way he utilized this prayer. He would oftentimes pray four hours over this prayer. And, and it's people like that that made me feel bad that I don't pray long enough. I don't know if you get that, but, but it sure got me. But the reality is <clears throat> what, what Luther would do is, is take these stanzas and just allow the spirit to expand them in his heart and mind. And so he used the pattern and he used the principles to pray. We'll talk more about that in, in a bit. Uh, understand that the prayer just generally is divided in two major sections. First is the exaltation of God. The first half, we, we pray about 
God our Father uh, in heaven. We pray about his will. We pray about his kingdom. And then the second half of the prayer is about us. Uh, because God wants us to further his kingdom in this world. He wants us to be able to serve him and to effectively advance the work of the gospel in our world. So it's a prayer for our provision. It's a prayer for our pardon, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed with guilt, that we would be living in the power of forgiveness and, and be forgiving people. And then lastly, that we would live under his protection so we didn't fall back into sin or the uh, attacks and the <clears throat> destruction of the enemy. So it's a, it's a two-part prayer in a big sense, furthering God's name and will in the world and then uh, developing us as those who would be capable <clears throat> instruments to accomplish all that he has for us. Uh, rightly so, the glory of God is, is first, and so we'll spend uh, our time there in a moment. But whatever, whatever the goal of all this is, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 nails it. So whatever we eat or drink, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. So we begin this prayer glorifying God and his, uh, through his name. So let's start with the first stanza uh, where we talk about our relationship with God. It says, uh, our Father in heaven. Dan did a, a great job last week, I thought, of just remembering or reminding us that this is a prayer for believers. We are God's children. We pray this to our Father in heaven. We don't have that relationship with God unless we've come to it through believing faith in the powerful, uh, sin-curing work of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. That enabled us and empowered us to become followers and believers in God's kingdom. So this is a very gospel-centric prayer that we could, we could come and exalt our Father in heaven. So it's done out of a right relationship with God. So, so the first question anyone should ever ask when they come to this prayer is simply, is God my Father? Some of you here today may, may not be in that place. You may be seeking to know more of God. You may not have come to that place where you understand that you're a, a sinner and that you need uh, the, the saving work of Christ applied to your life through faith. If, if that were to come to pass for you, then you would be joined into the family of God and you would become his child. Uh, this whole idea of God's name as Father uh, speaks of paternity. He is our Father. Uh, there's a spiritual birth. He, he is, in a general sense, our Father uh, in, in that he's the creator, but he, in this par prayer, speaks specifically to our spiritual Father, our born-again Father. Our, 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 he's not born again, we are, but we're born again into his family, into his kingdom, and so it's for us in that way. So he is, uh, he is our Father. Uh, Jesus reminded us that uh, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. When he uh, called some religious leaders of his day children of the devil, uh, we are God's children. There are those who are a part of his kingdom, who are children of the devil. So anyway, uh, Jesus reminds us we must be born again. We're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So when we come to this stanza, we come as his children, we come as believers, we come as those servants who seek to fulfill his kingdom, his work on this earth. So the first stanza said, our Father in heaven, it has two masterful phrases joined together. Our Father, it speaks of, of the fact that we have a daddy in heaven. We have a Father who's been instrumental in empowering us to be born again into the kingdom of God. And we can look to him as a father. We can relate to him as a young child would relate to his father. 
We trust Him. We love Him. We follow Him. We believe Him. And, and we're to come to this prayer with that kind of a, a disciplined, spiritual mindset and attitude that He is our Father. We can believe Him. We can trust Him. We can follow Him. We can uh, do all that He's called us to do as His children. So He is our Father. But it also says in heaven, He is on His throne, in His kingdom, over all things. So we have these two tensions in this first phrase of our Father and His kingdom in heaven. We need to remember both of those when we enter uh, and, and we kneel before the throne of grace and mercy and pray to our God. He is our Father, but He's also our King. He is one who desires above all to answer us, uh, our prayers, our, our requests. He, he wants our spiritual best. He desires that we would grow and, and be fruitful in his kingdom. But knows all, know also he is sovereign over all. He is almighty. He is the eternal God. He is the immutable God. He doesn't change. He is other than us, he's on his throne. And, and to, to, to bring those two great truths together in prayer, thinking we have a, a, a God who's both transcendent and a God who's both Emmanuel here with us. That's how we're to come to this prayer and, and address our God. And what Luther would do with this is, is he would take that phrase, our Father, and notice it's plural. When we pray this prayer, we shouldn't just pray, my Father. It's our Father. We're praying corporately, even though we may be praying alone. We should be praying when, and thinking of this body when we pray this prayer for, for God's uh, work in and through this uh, body, through each and every life here. But what Luther would do when, when he would say, our Father, he would think of all the ways that God had been a father to him recently in his life that he provided for him, that he'd guided him, that he'd protected him, that, that he'd upheld him. All, you know, he, he delivered him from, from difficulty. So he would pray and, and thank God for those things. And, and we can do that same thing with that stanza. You know, ponder, ask yourself, how has God been your father this week? Uh, how has he touched your life? How has he been there for you when you needed him desperately? What has he done recently to encourage you, to uphold you, to challenge you, to convict you toward greater holiness and greater fruitfulness in his kingdom? These are the things a father that loves you would do. And so pray those things. Give thanks for those things. Think of those things. Remembering as well that he's transcendent, he's sovereign. He's not going to allow anything to come to pass that's outside of his will. He's not going to bring anything into your life that is not for your good or for his glory. And so we can pray with that kind of confidence. We may not see the future. We may not know what tomorrow brings, but he does. And we can trust him. We can believe him. We can walk in faith knowing that he is our father and he is in heaven and sovereign over all. These are, these are awesome truths to just embrace and, and, and to know as well that, that in all of this, we're part of his family. If he's our father, we're family. We are a family of God here in this place, and there's a day we're going to be with him. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be forever in his presence in eternity. Jesus prayed this in, in what truly was his prayer in John 17. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me 
Jesus wants us to be with him, to be together with the entirety of God's family in heaven. And so he was praying that to the Father. And in a sense, we can pray that as well, that we may be with him where he is, where I am, to see his glory that, we, that, that God had given to Jesus because you loved him before the foundations of the world. So we can pray with that boldness and that confidence to our Father in heaven, knowing that one day we'll be with him. The second stanza talks about uh, the idea of his holiness and, and, and his transcendence. Uh, it says, and, and, and it calls us to reverence before God, hallowed be thy name. There's only two occurrences of the use of the word hallowed in the New Testament. The first place is in the prayer in uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. The second is in Luke 11 where it's prayed again. And this same expression is used. Hallowed be your name. What does that word mean to hallow the name of God? It means to, to the degree that we're able to, to, the, to the ways in which the Spirit of God works in us, we're to exalt and bring honor and glory to, to the holy name of God. This is, the old, this is the Old Testament, holy, holy, holy in the New Testament. He is hallowed. And, and, and this prayer calls us to understand and to deep, think deeply about the, the hallowedness of the name of God. His name is to be revered. His name is to not be profaned. His name is to be upheld. And through it, uh, him personally being glorified. The problem with this is sometimes it's in our world today casually degraded or even mindlessly uh, profaned. Uh, unfortunately, in many churches today in America, Roman Catholic and Protestant alike, this prayer is recited mindlessly. They are profaning the hallowedness of God's name. His name is to be revered and respected and exalted out of a heart that's transformed by his love and his grace and his truth that he is who he claims to be. To, to hallow the name of God, to understand that, is, is, it's a, a, a total uh, encompassment of who God is. Every attribute, every dynamic of the person of God is wrapped up in this concept of the hallowedness of God. So when we enter his presence, when we come praying to him, we need to remember that he's almighty. We can hallow him by revering and, and reminding ourselves of the fact that he is almighty. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He's immutable. And if you need some help in this area, we put some things out in the lobby. These are called 30 days for praying the names of, of God. And uh, there's 31 different attributes of, of God himself on that. It's on the Navigator's website if you uh, forget to get one today and you're looking for just a simple tool to help you uh, really hallow the name of God, to, to pray back to him these truths. How has God been sovereign in your life this week? How, how has God, uh, in all of his power, enabled you to accomplish something you didn't think you could do? Through the Spirit, how did he open your eyes to some, temp some temptation that was near that could have taken you down? God is working uh, through his word and through his relationship with you to exalt you. And our turn then is to exalt him, to hallow his name. You know, uh, 
I didn't come to be a, a follower of Christ until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. I, I don't remember the exact date. But what I do remember is that prior to that time, I was one of the most profane men on the planet when it came to the name of God. I hardly ever uttered a sentence without taking the name of God in vain, either his name or his son's name. And I look back on that, and I, I, I'm, God should have struck me dead. I, I mean, it was that bad in my life. I, I was just horrid in my speech. And God in his... I, God in his grace didn't kill me. He should have. But, but it, it's just brought me to a greater appreciation of, of a desire to honor him, to hallow his name. And I, I pray we would all come to that place. Whatever our past has brought us to, however we maybe not have done this or whatever, failed to do this, that somehow God would use this to cause us to, to grow in our desire and, and our ability, our capacity to hallow his name and to turn away from profaning it in, in any way. And, and it's got to come out of a changed heart and life. It's not just words. Uh, it's not just something we say. G. G. Campbell Morgan nailed it, I, I think, when he said this. I'm more afraid of the blasphemy of the sanctuary than the blasphemy of the street. It is more tragic when men and women go to God's house of worship and recite and sing his hallowed name with lips while the heart is not clean. Well, we need to take that into, into account. Are we here praising and worshiping God and, and speaking his name and his attributes and glorifying him when our hearts aren't right? That's to profane his name. It's to profane his name in his sanctuary. We're called to exalt him and, and to hallow his name through our lives, through a humility of spirit, through a gratitude in our hearts, through a study of his word and who he is and, 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 and just how he's worked in our world. You know, the psalmist did this. If you need some instruction in this, go to the Psalms. Psalm after Psalm is, is a reflection of the troubles, the hardship, the dangers of life. And they always end up praising and, and exalting God for deliverance, for comfort, for provision, for whatever it is that they needed. And, and what, what they did, and, and this is the same way we can come and hallow his name by bringing him to our, our gratitude, our thanks and praise for what he has done in and through us recently. The, the psalmist in Psalm 34, 3 wrote this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, th this whole act of hallowing the name of God isn't just about me personally and my relationship personally with God. It's about the church and about, it's about our declaration to the world of the glories of God. This is outreach. This is evangelism. This is missional living to live this way that the glory of God is ever on our tongues, that when we speak, the, the burst from our hearts, our passion and love for God is to exalt His name and to bring honor and glory to Him. That's to hallow His name. And, and just, yeah, that God would do that more and more in our lives in this way. Uh, how awesome would all that be? Hallow be your name. You know, we could look at all the, and, and I think I've done this many times as we've gone to the mountains. Maybe you could identify with it. You get up there and you, you see the splendor and the beauty of what God has made. And you literally do hallow him in your spirit. You rejoice in, in the beauty of what's there.
But don't look past the dynamic, powerful working of God in healing uh, sin-sick people, people overwhelmed by bitterness and resentment, people wounded. His power is more evident oftentimes there than in creation as he heals broken lives, as he draws people to himself, as he exalts himself through the healing of people that have been abused, people that have been uh, hurt in serious and sufficient and significant ways. So God wants our communication with him in this way. May we hallow his name. The third stanza talks about uh, resigning ourselves to his will. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's the king. He's in heaven. This is his kingdom here for us. He is present now in us. His kingdom is real to us. Literally, what the kingdom of God means is wherever God rules, that is his kingdom. If he's ruling in your heart and life now, you are in his kingdom and you are a subject to the king. There are some yet in our world who, for them, this will be future. When they come to Christ someday out of the bondage of sin and unbelief, they will become subjects of the king. For them, it is future. It will be future as well for all of us in one sense when Jesus returns. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's our prayer, our hope, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in perfection, his will is now carried out in heaven. One day it will be that way on this earth. So we can pray to that end. But in the meantime, God wants us to be active and busy and involved in doing all we can as his called ones to further the work of his kingdom here and now, to live missionally, to live for his kingdom, to exalt him and glorify him through serving others, through uh, being his uh, faithful and his uh, uh, mindful servants, serving him in every way. So that's the first part of the prayer. I love what Robert Law says. He says, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. That should always be the focus of our prayer. God, when we pray to you, it's that your will would be done here on earth. He goes on to say, we have no right to ask God for anything that will uh, dishonor his name, delay his kingdom, or disturb his will on earth. The first half of this prayer is about furthering God's kingdom and work through our lives in this world for his glory, honor, and praise. The second half is about us that we might be able to do that. It's about our daily provision, uh, sustenance for our daily needs. It's, it's about our pardon to live free of guilt and, and shame. It's, it's about our protection from falling back into sinful patterns. So let's attack the first one or address the first one about our bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The idea here is, is not that God would make sure that bread appears on your table every week. It's that uh, we see and understand our life is dependent. Our very sustenance is dependent on him. Every breath I take, I take because of the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. Uh, this world exists. It's sustained by the work and power of God. Uh, bread on my table comes not from the store, not from some baker. It comes from the land and the seed and the rain and the power of God working to provide wheat so that wheat can be milled and made into bread. Behind everything is the living God. 
And, and he's provided that for us that we can serve him and that we can be a part of advancing his kingdom in the world. These two, these two halves of the prayer are absolutely, perfectly linked together for the furtherance of his glory and the gospel in our world. We need sustenance to do the work of the gospel. We need his provision in order to live and serve him. And so that's what's in view. And, and, and also to build and, and deepen our relationship with him, which will do nothing more than further the gospel through us in, in his work in the world. And, and just to keep these big thoughts or themes in mind, I think, is, is awesome. God knows we need bread. For 40 years, he provided enough bread for the the wandering Israelites in the, in the wilderness. Uh, so he knows that we need it. He knows how much we need. Uh, so it, it's more about our relationship with him, growing in that, our dependence on him, than it is our daily bread. Uh, and again, notice that we're praying for ours, for everyone, not just my bread, uh, bread for my wife, my kids. It's all of us. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, it's so that we might uh, know him be dependent on him, grow in our relationship and uh, thanksgiving and, and joy in how he's provided for us. Understand that there are relationships uh, and responsibilities on our part in this. God's not just going to give us bread. Uh, back in Genesis 3, he told us we're going to make our living by the sweat of our brow, uh, by the sweat of our face, Genesis 3.19 says, uh, you shall eat bread. Uh, we could sit around, do nothing, uh, sit in our homes, cross our legs and and fold our arms and wait for something to happen, and we'd starve to death. That's God's plan. We're called to work. We're called to, to uh, serve and use the gifts, the talents that he's given us to uh, serve him in the world, to, to provide for our families. And, and that works through his provision. He gives us the energy. He gives us the time. He gives us the strength, the wisdom. So he's behind it all. I love what the psalmist or Proverbs writes in, in uh, Proverbs 38 through 9, to, to keep balance in this, the, the, uh, the writer writes these words. Uh, we're not to ask for luxuries. We're not to ask for anything beyond uh, what's given here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a beautiful balance to, to meet our needs, not luxuries, uh, not so little that we have to steal and profane God, but God would just meet our needs uh, in, in a very powerful and sustainable way. So we're to ask for that, that we could serve him. He goes on and says uh, we need to request pardon and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, we all owe God uh, Every moment of life we have is his gift to us. We deserve the, the penalty of death and destruction because of our sin. We've rebelled against him. Everything we have that's good and blessed in life is his gift to us. Uh, but foremost, forgiveness. That we're no longer his enemies. We no longer live at enmity with him. We are his friends. Jesus called us his friends in John 15. And we serve alongside him in the kingdom as those who are forgiven. And I think the most powerful place to serve from in life is from the place of redemption and reconciliation. When I've been forgiven and when I live a life free of resentment, bitterness, and anger toward anyone. Uh, hence, Jesus teaches them to uh, forgive our debtors. 
Uh, we're not to harbor bitterness and resentment toward others in our life. So this is a daily issue for us. Uh, I want to read these words to you. We often sin. We need to seek forgiveness for that. Positionally, we're forgiven once and for all through the finished work of Christ. But daily, we, f- we sin. We, we fall back into patterns of, of fleshly living, and we need to seek his forgiveness for those. And others do the same, and they offend us. They hurt us. Uh, so we're called to forgive them. Well, the, the teaching of this passage is powerful. It says we have no right to expect God to forgive us our sins if we are unwilling to forgive those who have wronged us. Let me read that again. <clears throat> we have no right to expect God to forgive us our sins if we are unwilling to forgive those who have wronged us. So the question we all have to address with every day is, is there someone out there I'm harboring bitterness or resentment toward? Is there someone I'm angry with that's hurt me? I need to forgive that person. The, the next couple of verses in this passage, which is we'll kick off with those next week, uh, are verses 14 and 15. There, Jesus said, for if, your fa- for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, listen to this, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is serious stuff. I don't want any of us to live in in a broken fellowship with God because we fail to forgive someone who's hurt us, offended us uh, in some way, uh, sinned against us. We're to forgive them freely, quickly, so that we might understand and have the full forgiveness of God. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 11.25 says this, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Does that leave anything out? No. Anybody, anything that they may have done to offend you must be forgiven. And then he goes on to say, so that your Father, who also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Understand, we're forgiven in our uh, con- uh, conditional standing day by day uh, only if we forgive others. The third thing, uh, the third request is for protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The idea here is that we live in a fallen world. Uh, We live literally day by day in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of Satan, who continually tempts us. We we live on 24-hour temptation watch. Literally, the scripture says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And the reality is it's all around us. We need protection. We need deliverance. We can't live this life without God's help. Do you think you can stand against temptation on your own? Uh, I'll tell you straight up, you can't. You need his deliverance. You need his guidance. You need his spirit to keep you from falling into the temptation of the enemy. So it's about protection. That we, If we're forgiven for past sins, we don't want to fall into the same kind of sin against. Uh, so we want to stay uh, uh, ever mindful of his, uh, his deliverance and his uh, need, uh, or our need for him, uh, our dependence on him to protect us from evil and from the evil one. So let's wrap this up. I, I want to spend just a few minutes asking the question, why, why do we pray? Uh, God knows everything. He knows what we need. Why, why do we pray? Principally, it's to develop, cultivate, uh, do all we can to enhance our relationship, our fellowship with the Father, that we might know him more intimately, more deeply. That he might know us. He, he knows everything about us, but I, I think it blesses him when we confess our sins, when we come to him and exalt him and, and uh, 
he knows that we know him even more intimately, more powerfully. Well, one of the most convicting statements I ever came across in all my years of ministry was this one. One of the greatest statements I've ever heard about prayer is simply this. Since Jesus prayed, how much more do I need to pray? If he needed to pray, and he did, we need it much more. So with that in mind, we're, we're living in a fallen world, serving a king who wants to display his glory and power everywhere. And he wants to use us. And, and he set apart not only us to pray about his glory, hallowing his name, uh, his will being done, but also that we'd be strong and sustained and uh, forgiven and ready to serve him, uh, protected from the evil and the enemy. So with all that, I, I just want to close with these few thoughts, and then we have a couple other things. Uh, think about this. I cannot say our if I live only for myself. I cannot say father if I do not endeavor each day to act like your child. I cannot say in heaven if I am not laying up treasure there. I cannot say hallowed be your name if I am not striving for holiness. I cannot say your kingdom come if I'm not doing all in my power to hasten that wonderful event. I cannot say your will be done if I am disobedient to your word. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I do not serve you here and now. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I am not dependent on you for all I need to live. I cannot say forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors if I harbor bitterness against anyone. I cannot say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in its path. And I cannot say deliver us from evil if I do not put on the full armor of God. We're going to close just watching a clip that was put together by uh, John Piper praying this prayer. So for the next three or four minutes, I just want you to observe and listen and pray with him the words of this prayer. And then following that, I want to encourage you to take the next two to three minutes. We're just going to be quiet here. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you to pray. Pray in your seats. If you'd like to come forward and kneel, do that. Kneel at your seat. Whatever draws you closest to God. And, and I want to encourage you to take one stanza from this incredible prayer and pray it to God. Maybe, maybe you just want to hallow his name this morning. Pray back to him and exalt him for his attributes. Or, or maybe just thank him for the way he's been your father. Or maybe you need to seek his provision in some area. Just take one of the stanzas and pray it back to God for two to three minutes. And then the worship team will come and lead us uh, in closing. You play the clip now.
hallowed be your name. Make your great and holy name to be honored and treasured above all things, especially deep in our own hearts and everywhere in the world. Your kingdom come. Cause your sovereign authority and wisdom to hold sway at all times in every place on earth and in the deepest parts of our own souls. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will would be done throughout the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it a reality in each of us. this day our daily bread we are not asking for riches but for enough to live we want to be healthy and to have a mind and body that work sustain us that we might accomplish what you call us to do and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors we are sinners and need to be forgiven every day. We know we don't deserve it. We ask for mercy. Forgive us. Draw us into the freedom of your love, the love you gave when your son died in our place. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Keep us back from the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Guard us from Satan, from all his works and all his ways. Grant us to walk in holiness before you all our days. We pray this in the name of the one who taught us to pray, in Jesus' name, amen.